Well, thank you, uh, Mel and Don, for reading all of that mammoth reading. It's uh, wonderful to be in Acts. Acts is the, um, uh, you know, theologians say it's the only pure uh, narrative book, if that means anything to you, in the in the whole New Testament. It's all there's no teaching. It's just all stories, an account of what happened, and it's, so it's lovely to read such big pieces of it and weigh it up together. But let me, uh, let me pray as we, uh, as we get into today's passage, ask for God's help. Heavenly Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, please make us. For your Son's sake, amen. Well, uh, I don't know if you have uh, a gym membership or if you go to a club, uh, if you have a membership at a club, but I'm here to offer you some upgrades Uh, And that is, uh, I should say, that is, if you meet the membership requirements, if you meet the membership requirements. There's a number of exclusive clubs. Perhaps top of the list is the Australian Club. Members include John Howard and James Packer. Do you meet the requirements? Well, you know, they're they're clouded in some secrecy. Uh, But what we do know is you need to be a man uh, and you cannot be wearing denim. There are two strict rules there. Another elite club is the Ferrari Club of Australia, and membership, <laughs> membership, <laughs> membership uh, exclusiveness. It's not down to the fees, but it's uh, you need to have a you need to have a Ferrari to get in there, and I assume it can't be in pieces. You can't just go in there with like a you can't just go in there with like a wheel or something. Uh, another another club, another option for you is uh, Club Silencio in Paris. Uh, it's it's exclusively for, and I'll quote here: it's for people who can demonstrate an established experience in artistic and international creative circles. So I don't know if that's any of us here. Not sure if you can meet that. Uh, finally, perhaps my favourite requirement is from the 39 Monte Carlo Club in Monaco, which says that you are expected to, and I have a quote here, expected to abide by a classy and effortlessly chic dress code while on premises. Effortlessly chic dress code. I love that. Uh, I'll let you decide if you can pull that off or not. I'm not even sure what effortlessly chic is, but uh, unfortunately it's not the same as putting in no effort. So... <laughs> Well, the issue of membership requirements, it's really at the heart of today's passage. Uh, The new Christian church is spreading like wildfire as the unstoppable word changes hearts across the nations. But the question is raised, who are we going to let in? What are the membership requirements? You might say that the existing members, the Jews, believe the apostles have been letting the standard slip Letting the riffraff in, people wearing denim without Ferraris, total dags. Well, we're going to have a look at our passage under four R's. The issue is raised, the question is reviewed, there is a ruling made, and finally we will see the result. There are points, you can follow along in your outline or on screen. But come with me to verse 1 for our first point, the issue raised. Verse 1, got it there, it says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So who is it raising the issue? Well, these are men, uh, 
that began to teach you must be circumcised, and, and they've come from Jerusalem to this new uh, church. I have a bit of a map there. You can see Antioch. Uh, they've come up from Jerusalem to Antioch to where these new churches were, and they've said, we're from Jerusalem, and see, this would have had some kind of authority for some of them, uh, for some of the, 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 the Jews and the Gentiles in this new, these new places. They say, we've come from Jerusalem, and this is really what uh, needs to happen. Uh, but of course, it's not where they've come from that matters, but whether their message is true. In verse 5, they are called believers from the party of the Pharisees. Uh, and at best, they are a bit confused, or at worst, they really didn't understand gospel grace. It's, uh, you can't really be sure. But um, the, issue, the issue is at the core of salvation, and that is salvation by grace. How is someone saved? How can someone be a member of God's kingdom? What are the membership requirements going to be? And they say members need to be circumcised, uh, which I'm sure was a pretty significant turn-off, having to be circumcised. As exclusive as the Ferrari club is, it would be even more exclusive if you have to be circumcised to join it, I imagine. Well, what's behind this requirement to be circumcised? Verse 5, we learn that the party was saying, for new members, it says, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so it's a question of whether or not you have to keep the Old Testament law of Moses. If they want to join God's people, the Jews, they need to become Jewish, live like Jews, no more bacon, no more mixed fibers, all the laws would need to be kept. And, you know, perhaps to add some complexity to it, uh, behind all of this is uh, that, you know, in the Old Testament, one of the ways God's people were to remain pure was that they weren't to associate with unclean people or unclean things. And so for this new church, how can one half be clean, be Jewish, and the other half be unclean, and, and the two halves can never associate? Can you see the problem? Like, how is this new church possibly going to function? To make matters even worse, the Gentiles, uh, the cultures that these new Christians had come from, uh, they had some pretty immoral practices, things like temple prostitution, sacrifices to idols, and you can imagine the Jews saying, well, surely they can't continue doing these things and be part of this new Christian church. A little bit closer to home, you might think, well, what are the limits to the people that we might let into this church? Looking around the room, or at me, uh, clearly we've let in the less than effortlessly chic. Uh, and, you know, many of us don't have Ferraris. But, uh, you know, are there, are there moral requirements that we make of people? Are there unwritten dress codes that we have? You know, are we going to let people in with Crocs or in winter gumboots? Like, uh, surely there's some kind of minimum standard. Uh, I don't think anyone here has got Crocs on, but... If you try to come in with Crocs, I don't know, one of us might have to have a word. <laughs> but more seriously, uh, you know, are there people that we wouldn't let in? Do you have unwritten membership requirements in your head? Well, secondly then, uh, moving on, uh, secondly, the issue is reviewed. So in verse 2, Paul and Barnabas they engage these teachers, these Jewish teachers. It says, verse 2, engage them in serious argument and debate. They have it out. Uh, and eventually, Paul and Barnabas ascend to Jerusalem 
to the other apostles where the gospel has spread from so that the, the true teaching can be confirmed. Uh, and as becomes clear, the apostles were all of one accord on this matter, uh, but a council is formed in Jerusalem and the issue is reviewed uh, so that a clear teaching can be ruled upon. In verse 6, they assemble. Uh, and verse 7 says, After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them. And then we have uh, the next 13 verses are Peter's case. There's a, a review and a rule. And the case is made centering on two kind of types of evidence, you might say. Firstly, what God has done, and then what he has said. So let's look at them in turn now. Uh, firstly, what God has done. And I won't uh, read through the whole thing, but the argument, you know, essentially in verse 7, Peter says, God has clearly chosen to save the Gentiles. And he's thinking back to Cornelius, uh, the Gentile centurion in Acts chapter 10. So I don't know if you remember Acts chapter 10, but God sent Peter a vision. Uh, do you remember he, he, the vision is that a sheet is lowered down from heaven, and on the sheet, it's like a big white tablecloth, is all of the unclean food, pork and, and all those kinds of things. And, uh, and Peter's like, well, I can't eat any of that. It's unclean. And God says, no, no, uh, take, kill and eat. And Peter's like, oh, no, 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 God. Oh, no, 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 I can't eat that. And God's like, no, 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 eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. And God says, look, I've said it's clean, now eat it. And so Peter, he says, okay, I'll do it. And the, and the point of that was that uh, the food had been declared clean by God. It was no longer unclean. And so too were the Gentiles. And so he goes to the centurion's house. Uh, and so Peter learned that no, the lesson wasn't that he should eat Gentiles, but that he should eat with Gentiles, just to be clear. It's, uh, God was saying, these, are all, these things which were unclean are now declared clean. And so Peter recalls this, and this is his argument. The next thing Peter says in verse 8 is that God, it says, verse 8, God who knows the heart testified to them, that is the Gentiles, by giving the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. So his point is that God has sealed the Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. These uh, Gentiles spoke in tongues. This was the sign. Uh, Peter was there in the room with Cornelius the centurion when the Holy Spirit came upon him after he'd given his life to Jesus. He was born again. Holy Spirit comes on him and he speaks in tongues. And so it's, it's, it was a clear sign that God had accepted this Gentile centurion and given him the Holy Spirit. And Cornelius, the point is, he never kept the law. He never got circumcised, and yet he had the Holy Spirit. God gives him the Holy Spirit, accepting him. So the law can't be a requirement because Cornelius never kept it. What did Cornelius do to make himself acceptable, to meet requirements of membership then? Well, it was having faith. It was having faith in Jesus, not by keeping the law. Peter argues in verse 9. Verse 9 says, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Cleansing their hearts by faith. God doesn't make distinctions between different races. He's not a racist. The distinction is between those who have faith and those who do not. Uh, and, and see that faith here is the great cleaning agent. It's better than nappy sand, it's better than shower power, I don't know what you use, better than debt hole, Ajax. God cleans by faith. Faith is the tool to clean. If you want to be clean, you need to have faith, not keep the law. 
That is the argument. And the argument uh, before the council is that if the Holy Spirit accepts them, bacon and all, then why aren't you? Why aren't you going to accept these Gentiles? Why are you trying to give them more things they need to do? Hoops to jump through. If they're good enough for the Holy Spirit, they're good enough for his church. And so Peter's speech is powerful, clear and true. But the icing on the cake is then the testimony of Paul and Barnabas uh, in verse 12. It says, And the whole assembly fell silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. For the breathtaking reality was that the Gentile after Gentile had been saved. And God had done many, many miracles amongst them. We've been reading about them in, the, in Acts as we've gone through, haven't we? God had shown beyond doubt that he wanted them, those Gentiles, to have membership in his kingdom by faith. Well, the case uh, progresses now, moving from what God has done, how he has worked, now to what God has said, uh, verses 16 to 18. For God had been crystal clear, uh, he he had his word, his will for history, for how the church was going to be, and he'd written it down, he had it written down by the prophets that people might know that this was his will. And so James, Jesus' brother, now speaks to the council gathering, and he argues uh, that what God has done is in accordance with what he said would happen. Uh, So verse 15, he says, The words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written. And then he quotes Amos, one of the prophets, who recorded God's will, that the broken Jewish nation would be rebuilt. uh, And verse 17 says, So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles. That's pretty clear, isn't it? God had said this in the Old Testament. Even all the Gentiles. And so God's plan was always that the Gentiles would join in to the promise that God had made to Israel, that the Gentiles would receive the blessings promised to them, peace, prosperity, eternal life with God. And now in Acts we're seeing it happen, aren't we? Well, next then we have the ruling. The issue is ruled upon. Uh, James, Jesus' brother, continues and he gives the final ruling on the issue, which Paul and Barnabas will then go and take around to the rest of the churches. That's what happens in uh, chapter 16, the tail end of the reading there, 16, 1 to 5. Uh, they go and they take it around to all the churches Uh, And they take a letter, and we have a copy of the letter. It's written out there for us in chapter 15. But you might summarize the ruling that they make under three points. Uh, Firstly, it's that we're saved by grace, not law. That is, the membership requirements should be only one thing, faith in Jesus. Verse 19 says, We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, they don't have to adhere to the Old Testament law. It's not necessary. It's not a requirement, a condition, as they were saying. And I love verse 10. Verse 10 says, The law is a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. We couldn't keep the law, they're saying. You cannot do the things that are needed to be acceptable into membership in God's kingdom. You cannot bear such a weight, such a standard. It will crush you. Uh, and I was reminded of this uh, when I was chatting with uh, Rob, had uh, one of the morning church uh, families, new family, uh, Rob, who's joined us at morning church, had them over for lunch, and he was telling me about, uh, and I, I shared this story with permission, he was uh, at a work lunch with some colleagues, and they were there at a Malaysian restaurant, and they ordered all this kind of wonderful food, um, very vibrant food, and they were, you know, really reveling in the colours, 
uh, and, and the culture. Uh, and uh, eventually they got to talking about soy sauce uh, and how soy sauce has a really rich history of being brewed. But one of their colleagues was a really uh, wonderful, young, dedicated Muslim guy. And uh, he's a very committed Muslim. And as they began talking about soy sauce and its rich history of being brewed, his ears kind of pricked up. Uh, and he was struck by the word brewing. And he said, does that mean soy sauce is a bit like beer, like it's brewed? And, you know, it is. And then he said very earnestly and quite now sounding worried, does that mean soy sauce contains alcohol? As he looks down at his plate dripping in soy sauce, as he's been going, you know, to this place for however long. And everyone now realized what the concern was, and they said, yeah, it's only the tiniest, tiniest amount of alcohol would be there, and it's, it's kind of almost all of it's burnt off during the cooking. And, uh, but this guy was, he, it, Rob said it was amazing to see his face. He was, he was shocked. Um, he, w- he began to look really upset. Uh, he stopped eating. He couldn't be consoled. And in his mind, it was absolutely not okay for him uh, to have consumed any amount of alcohol, even accidentally. Such despair over such a small accidental thing. And this man's despair is because of his understanding of uh, his God, Allah. Uh, You know, God, of course, has high standards, rightly so. And on some level, we all know that if we want to face such a God, we're going to need to do the right thing. We're going to need to be good, to be a good person. Uh, And, you know, this is what the Muslim religion lays out for them. You know, keep, keep God's laws, be good. And then God will accept you into his kingdom. And one of the saddest things uh, when you talk to a, a diligent Muslim is they have no certainty that their God, Allah, will accept them. Because you can never be sure that you have kept the whole law, that you have done enough to be good, to be acceptable, to meet membership requirements, as we've been saying. All, all they know of God, of the true God, is God's justice and his wrath. Uh, which is only half of God's character, isn't it? God, uh, the true God, yes, he is wrath. Yes, he is justice. But he's also mercy and grace. Uh, and he's so loving and he's so patient and kind. And we see this supremely in the way he dealt with Israel. So patient, so gentle, over and over, offering, offering salvation and forgiveness. Um, and ultimately, many uh, Jews were saved. And indeed, the Gentiles are brought in. He, he is so, so generous, so gracious. Well, do pray for our Muslim friends. Uh, tell them of salvation by grace, not by law. Tell them of cleansing through faith in Jesus. But as we turn to our account in Acts, uh, you can see that this was a vital moment for the Christian church. What was the Christian faith going to be? Historians say this was a, it could have been a turning point. Would, would the church go back to the law and history would have been so different? But no, the council says uh, salvation is by grace through faith, not by keeping the law. Even though you don't have a Ferrari, we will let you in graciously as a gift because Someone who does have a Ferrari, who owns the club, will, uh, will give you one, is effectively what happens. Uh, or even though you may not be able to pull off effortlessly chic clothing requirements, um, let's be frank, we're just struggling to get the washing done to have clean clothes to wear. Even though there is one who will clothe you, there is one who will provide for you, 
uh, will provide you with the effortlessly chic clothing required. He's the great washer of clothes, the great cleanser of hearts. And to make this uh, analogy work, he would have to be the fashion guru as well. But anyway, we're getting a bit lost there. But the point is, that which we have not, Jesus gives us. That which we cannot, Jesus has done for us. That we might be made acceptable to God and have eternal peace with him. And so praise him. But this is where our passage gets a little more complicated. Because I don't know if you noticed this as we were reading, but it's kind of like he says, no, no, they don't have to keep the law, but here's a few of my own they do have to keep. Did you notice that uh, as, we, as we were going through it? Uh, the ruling uh, kind of takes a turn. So verse 20 uh, says, but instead, so they don't have to keep the law, but instead we should write to them and tell them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. And you sort of think, wait, isn't that undermining the whole you don't have to keep the law thing? (laughs) Well, let me explain what's going on here by giving another two principles that come out of this ruling. So we've had saved by grace, not law, and now uh, living free from sin, and then uh, finally living by love, not rights. So firstly, living free from sin. The ruling says in verse 20 they need to abstain from sexual immorality. And sexual immorality, it's a bit of an umbrella term. It means rid yourself of those sexual immoral practices. Sorry, those sinful immoral practices. Uh, And so you can see kind of Paul elaborating on this in his letters to the Ephesians uh, in a similar way. Uh, Ephesians 5, 3 to 4, it's up on screen. He says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So what kind of a club are we going to be if we're to make the membership requirement faith, uh, acceptance by grace? Can any behavior go? Can just any behavior go? No, he says. In our club, in the church of Jesus, bought with his blood, Paul says, amongst you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. And I love the way the NIV puts that, a hint of sexual immorality. But notice the order it comes in. It's, it's after you're saved by grace. It's really, you cannot say this enough. It's after we're saved by grace, then we look to try and live this kind of life. Holiness, holiness is the goal. It's, it's the fruit of salvation, but it's not the means of salvation. It's not how we get saved. We are saved by grace. But once you are saved, you need to be part of God's church. And if you're going to be in God's church, you need to be constantly working at putting off sin. Sin which is it's accepted by our society. This is very much what was happening with the Gentiles, right? This was their culture. And here the apostles are saying, you cannot continue in that. And so, you know, for us, sexual impurity, so accepted, things like pornography or indulging in, in lustful sexual thoughts, they cannot be a part of our lives. We need to be putting them off. Uh, things like anger or entitlement, greed and selfishness. We, so easy, so excusable in our world, and yet for us we need to be constantly trying to get rid of these things in our lives. When you see sin in your life, do something about it, and by the Spirit's power, work at putting it off. We'll never be rid of all the sin in our life, but we never stop trying to rid ourselves of all of it. 
Surely we can't take things, these things less seriously in our life than Paul does here in the church. Well, if you've got questions about those things, as I say, we'll have a Q&A uh, a little later on. But now we're going to move on to the third part of the ruling. Uh, you might say it is living by love, not rights. So did you notice the last part of verse 20 is tell them to abstain from, and then it says, eating anything that has been strangled and from blood. And these are the things that were actually declared clean uh, you know, by God. And so you say, well, why are they here being told not to do them? And really, it's to do with the Gentiles being loving toward the Jews who they're going to try and be in church with. We're going to try and have one church for Jews and Gentiles. We need to not uh, upset one another. We need to not uh, see their consciences. If they feel like this is uh, something they should be staying away from, then don't uh, do it in front of them and therefore kind of upset them. If you can kind of picture that. So really what they're saying here is be loving toward one another. So you can just imagine um, there's this new church and there's a Jewish person who's come and he's heard about salvation by grace. And so he comes along to our service and then, uh, you know, he's like, wow, I, I can see how God has been promising these things. And we say, well, come out for dinner and we'll keep chatting. And he comes out for dinner and then there at dinner we have this huge steak that's just dripping in blood and, uh, you know, this guy's like, oh, like his whole life he's been told that that's bad and, you know, finds himself gagging and runs out of the restaurant. I don't know. This is the kind of concern. Though. These, these things were from a very different culture. And for the Jews, this was just a huge uh, hurdle to get past. And so the apostles say to the Gentiles, just give up these things. Just don't do those things and it'll be a way that you can love your brothers and sisters. It'd be a bit like if we're inviting our Muslim friend over, we wouldn't have soy sauce in the food. We don't want that to be the stumbling block. And this is a principle that comes up a number of times in scriptures. First uh, Corinthians chapter 9 talks about it as well, if you want to um, read up more. But um, for example, uh, there's a great one at the end of our passage. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, did you notice right at the end, 16 verse Three, Timothy gets circumcised. Did, did you spot that as we were reading through? So Paul, they've given this big ruling. They're saying, no, no, these Gentiles don't need to get circumcised. And then after that, they go and circumcise Timothy. Uh, bad luck, Timothy. <laughs> and then they go and take this message. Timothy goes and takes this message, this letter, to all the churches saying, you don't have to get circumcised. And it's like, well, why did they circumcise him? And it's exactly what we're saying. It's because... You know, as soon as Timothy would walk in, they all knew that he was uh, from a Gentile family. They'd, the Jews would say, well, I can't have anything to do with this unclean Gentile. And then Paul would say, no, no, don't worry. We've circumcised him. And then Timothy would tell them about salvation by faith. And, you know, of course, we'd pray that they'd be saved. And this was the way that the gospel would go on. And so the principle is, uh, even though we are, have many freedoms in Christ, all food has been declared uh, clean, we're to give up some of those freedoms at times uh, to reach those who don't understand, who don't understand uh, grace by faith and the freedom that it be, uh, brings. And so you might think, well, how would they apply that principle to us here in this church? Here, we don't have this kind of division, do we, like they were having in the church back then. We're all pretty similar. We're all Gentiles here, I think. And, uh, and you know, we all have pretty similar habits in terms of food and those kinds of things. Um, but we still need to you know, accommodate the outsider. We still need to um, 
have a, a, a kind of church where an outsider could come in and be a part of us and try and feel comfortable. And so that's going to change the way we do things like music and all, all sorts of little things. Um, in the mornings, uh, in the morning service here, we started wearing name tags. And name tags are so annoying. And uh, we don't have to do it here. I think we all know each other's names pretty easily. But in the morning, it's just enough people where it's a little harder to tell. And it means if a new person comes they can just find it that much easier to have conversation. And so we put on the name tag. It's kind of a similar, uh, similar principle. It's being loving. It's giving up a right uh, to try and be loving and to try and be more open to the outsider. Or another example, um, you know, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. You know, you've got the right to only talk to your friend. You don't have to talk to everybody. And yet, isn't, isn't there something here that Paul is saying, no, no, Give up your rights, and so, yes, we talk to everyone, even the people we don't like in the congregation, even the annoying person. Um, you know, you might talk to me, even though you find me annoying. Uh, it's, it's an inconvenience. Fellowship is always going to be a kind of inconvenience. You're going to have to make time for it, to, t- to chat after the service. It's going to cost you something. It's, you're free. You don't, have to, you don't have to come to church at all. You don't have to, to stick around. You don't have to get here on time. And yet these are all things that are inconvenient, that we do as a way of loving our fellow brothers and sisters. So I think there are some little ways that uh, you can see this kind of idea playing itself out. Well, finally, and very, very briefly, the result. We see, we see the result of the ruling. The Gentiles hear it, and what's their reaction? Uh, 15 verse 31 says, When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And they rejoiced. This is good news. Uh, and what's the effect for the gospel spreading in Acts 16 verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in their faith and increased in number daily. And so the churches were strengthened, continued to grow by the Spirit. This decision was key. You know, it, it could have impeded the gospel going out. You know, all of these churches could have really struggled if they had to jump through all of these hoops. Uh, but instead the gospel spread all around the world, even here to Bexley North. Who would have thunk it? Well, the lesson is don't stand in the way of the word. When it comes to salvation, stick to faith. When it comes to fellowship, live by love. Let me pray to close. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you for salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who took away our sins. And Lord, we throw ourselves at his feet knowing that in him we are saved, not by the things that we do, not by keeping the law, just by faith. So Lord, we thank you for that. Father, help us to always be putting away sin as we see it in our lives. And Lord, help us to self-sacrificially be loving those around us, even at cost to ourselves. Father, please continue strengthening and growing your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.